After their pandemic-fueled plunge, stocks have, for the most part, recovered. And now that the economy is slowly opening back up, where do we go from here? You'll want to stay right where you are as our special guest weighs in. Paul Dietrich is coming up on this special edition of Your Money Manual. And now from Scottsdale, Arizona, here's your host, the CEO of Wealth Strategies Advisory Group and the Household Endowment Model, Vince Annable. Hey, thanks, Jeff. Welcome to Your Money Manual. And this happens to be the program, the educational show we designed around the fact that we know when it comes to uh, investing your money, when you receive that money, you probably didn't receive instructions on how to invest it when you accumulated those dollars. So we're here to help. Our goal is to provide you with valuable information to help you make smart decisions about your money and create a significant life for yourselves and your family. So today we're gonna talk about COVID, the global economy, the US economy, the markets, um, and we're going to talk about, I guess if we had a title for it, we'd call it the markets, the economy, and your portfolio in a COVID world. So we've all had to put up with COVID. And today I am extremely excited about bringing back a guest that we have had on the show before, very much in demand. Uh, he is a major contributor to major financial media all over the world. Chances are, if you read it, watch it, or listen to it, i.e. financial media, you're probably familiar with Mr. Paul Dietrich. He's a familiar face and voice on Fox Business, on Fox News, on CNBC, on Bloomberg TV, CNN, and a myriad of major newspapers and other channels. Top of that, he's got a day job. He's the chief investment strategist at B. Riley Wealth Management. He's also an international corporate attorney for good measure, just because he needed something to do in his spare time. This is his second appearance, speaking of spare time, on our program. So, Paul, welcome back to Your Money Manual. Thanks, Vince. So, Paul, amid this whole carnage we've been experiencing since March, why does the stock market remain so optimistic and how should our investors analyze what is happening in these markets? First, I think you have to be very, make very clear distinctions uh, when talking about uh, what is happening. This is an economic crisis that was not created because of economic fundamentals uh, underlying the market. Uh, this is an economic crisis uh, that was caused by the government shutting down the U.S. economy. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, we all agree that they ha probably had to do that because uh, we had to fight this, this terrible once-in-a-lifetime virus. But um, this wasn't a recession in, in the normal sense. I mean, we're seeing unemployment uh, and GDP uh, and all, all of the economic indicators drop like we haven't seen them drop since the Great Depression, but it was just simply because the government completely shut down overnight uh, the U.S. economy. And so I think most investors understand that we had a strong economy uh, before 
uh, we were re reaching new heights as of February 19th in the stock market. And then all of a sudden, uh, with the shutdown of the US economy, uh, everything sort of collapsed. Uh, we know that this is temporary uh, and people are investors tend to look at the future. They're not looking at earnings and unemployment as it is right now. They're looking at what they believe it will be uh, in the future. I, I also think that there's another uh, element here is that I think you have to look at this like uh, a natural disaster rather than uh, a recession. Uh, this is an economic crisis that was caused by an act of God a kind of national Hurricane Katrina. And so the government has reacted properly the way we always do when, when natural disasters come, whether they're hurricanes in Florida or hurricanes in New Orleans, uh, is that we quickly flood uh, that area with money. We start rebuilding immediately. Uh, and that's kind of what the government has done. They've, they've, they've put these stimulus packages into place to flood the economy uh, with money, and they're trying to offset uh, the the economic damage that took place. Now, what is that? Um, I did an analysis uh, just kind of on the back of an envelope. If you look at all of the gross domestic product that we had for 2019 last year, that's all the goods and services that our entire economy produces and it's about $21.4 trillion. And then if you carve out uh, two and a half months uh, of, of that $21.4 trillion uh, from, from March 15th to the end of May, which is basically the, the shutdown period, uh, that's uh, $4.5 trillion. And that's, that's the maximum economic damage that shutting down the entire U.S. economy, and we know not everything was shut down, but if we did, if, if it was all shut down, it would be a total of about four and a half trillion dollars. Well, Congress has passed already three trillion dollars in stimulus uh, bailout packages. Uh, they're talking about another one to three trillion dollars uh, that will probably uh, there'll be some compromise between the Senate and the House in the next few weeks. And so that money, plus the $6 trillion that the Federal Reserve has put together in loan facilities, that's going to more than offset uh, the economic damage to the U.S. economy. And, and investors understand that. Whenever, whenever we flooded the U.S. economy with a lot of money, uh, the stock market reacts uh, favorably, and that's what it's doing uh, right now. Now, that's not to say that everyone is equally getting uh, all that money. They're not. Um, we've had a problem in distributing the unemployment compensation. People have had terrible problems in filing for it. Um, people who have been even approved uh, by this payroll protection, these forgivable loans to small businesses, Many of them have been approved. They just haven't gotten the money in their bank account yet. Even people who are promised that $1,200 check, loads of them were just receiving it last week. So the government's been almost criminally negligent in the distribution of this money, but the money is there. It has been appropriated. Eventually, 
people will receive this. Eventually, uh, it will start filtering through the economy. And so I think the fact that the government has committed to offset uh, the, 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 the overall losses of the economic damage that done to the economy uh, and the fact that we're now starting to reopen uh, and we all, almost every economist believes that the second half will be really good. And the fact that we weren't, um, this, this was a, an artificial shutdown of the economy, uh, I think that's the reason most investors are pretty positive uh, about the future. Well, in order for all those trillions of dollars to be utilized and get the economy growing, we are going to need to reopen the economy, and there's a lot of debate, a lot of political positioning, in my opinion, regarding reopening the economy versus public health. So what are your thoughts? I think you clearly have to do both. I, I mean, this is not an either or, and I hate it uh, when they politicize this. I hate it when I uh, watch on TV uh, that it has to be either or. Uh, we have seen in countries like Singapore, uh, South Korea, uh, Taiwan, uh, other countries uh, where they've been able to reopen uh, with, without massive um, increases in coronavirus. I mean, uh, it was big news in South Korea uh, when someone, one person went to a, uh, a nightclub and infected 128 people. They, they found all those people the next day and, and quarantined them. Uh, you can uh, find out who the people are and, and deal with that because we have to uh, and, and, and let the economy reopen. I think we used a very, very blunt instrument uh, in closing down uh, the, the entire U.S. economy uh, as opposed to thinking through uh, the best way of doing this. But because we had, I, I, don't, I don't blame politicians for that, because we had no experience with this. This is a once in a lifetime, uh, a unique historical experience. I mean, we've never closed down the U.S. economy before. We didn't do it after 9-11, didn't do it after World War I, didn't do it after World War II. This is a historically unique uh, experiment. Uh, I think when we look back at it, uh, we would have done it differently. Just as an example, I was looking at statistics from three states that have had spikes uh, in new cases uh, over the last couple of weeks as we've been reopening. North Dakota, Arkansas, and Alabama. And it, it, it's fascinating to look at where all those uh, over 90% of all uh, of the new cases came from four distinctive areas. Uh, one is prisons, uh, two, their nursing homes. That was about 30 to 36% in those three states. Uh, prisons were about 25%. And the rest came from meatpacking plants and uh, from the Hispanic and African-American community that has pre-existing conditions, which are largely um, the diabetes, uh, high blood pressure, 
uh, heart disease and obesity. So we know who those, those four demographic groups are, where these cases are coming from. What I don't understand is why government doesn't have a plan to, to, to nip in the bud those four places uh, and, and rather than closing down the entire economy. Uh, I mean, think about it. People in nursing homes and prisons, uh, these people are already quarantined. They're not going out to bars and restaurants and they're not at your local mall spreading the disease. They're effectively quarantined. Um, there are, I, I just, you know, what we've done is we've spent enormous amounts of money giving money to everybody. We gave that $1,200 check uh, to basically every person in America. We gave, uh, we gave $600 per week in, uh, in extra unemployment compensation, that's $2,400 a month through the end of June, uh, to everyone who is unemployed uh, in the United States. We gave all these forgivable loans to small businesses and the question we have to ask is, was that the, the right use of all that money? I mean, had we spent a, a fraction of that money figuring out how to contain uh, the virus in nursing homes, in prisons, in meatpacking plants, and in, and in the African-American and, and Hispanic uh, communities where we can identify who the most likely people are who are getting this disease, we would have saved an enormous amount of money. We wouldn't have closed down the entire uh, U.S. economy. Uh, and we, we would have stopped about 90% uh, of all the coronavirus uh, new cases. I mean, in Hong Kong, for example, there has not been one single case of coronavirus uh, in a nursing home. So somebody knows, somebody knows how to protect people in nursing homes. And it, it kills me that these are our most vulnerable people. These are our grandparents. These are our parents. And, you know, we ought to be spending money making sure that those people are safe. Many of those places are, are public facilities. Uh, and we just have to spend the money. And it's a fraction. It would be a, a, so much of a smarter use of money and management uh, to do it that way than the way we did it. Now, again, we didn't know what we were doing when we closed down everything at first. But now that we do, I don't think we'll ever close down the whole U.S. economy again because we know where these cases are coming from. But what I don't see is I don't see the money going in from the federal government, which, it, you know, somebody's got to pay for it. Uh, and we're paying for all this other crazy stuff uh, we ought to do this. I mean, uh, politicians in both the state and federal governments said that meatpacking uh, was a, an essential job, and they forced all the meatpacking plants to reopen, but they didn't give them any money uh, to, to make sure that, that this, the coronavirus wasn't going to be spread. Now, does that make any sense? No. <clears throat> nope, doesn't make any sense to me. By the way, I know you live right outside Washington, D.C. Seems to me like you should have gone a little bit further into D.C., gathered some of these people together and given your view. Maybe somebody might have listened. Yeah, they're uh, politicians. Yeah, I know. You know they I know don't listen. Dealing with here. You're exactly right. So we expect that with the stimulus and the path we're on right now, we are going to have a recovery uh, from this coronavirus pandemic. But... 
what are the short-term and the long-term impacts going to be on unemployment, small businesses, and the overall economy going forward? That's a good question. I, I'm always trying to dig down into the weeds, dig down into the facts, and, and try to make distinctions that you rarely see on you know, your local cable news uh, pundits uh, kind of making wild guesses and, uh, uh, you know, giving their opinions. I, I try to look at the facts. And if you look at the recession in 2008 and 2009, when you saw unemployment, uh, it was pretty much across the board. It was in banks. It was, it was in every area, construction. Um, and what's interesting about, you know, we're, we're going to have, when the new unemployment figures come out probably next week, we're going to have about 40 million people unemployed in the United States. But over 80% of those people marked down when they filed for unemployment claims that they believed that their unemployment was temporary, that they would get their jobs back as soon as the, the economy reopened. Uh, that was interesting because just the opposite, about 85% uh, said it was permanent back in 2008 and 2009. Also, the unemployment is not across the board this time. It's, it's, it's concentrated in six industries. And so if you look at those six industries, it gives investors a lot of hope uh, that within a very short period of time, within the next three to four months, uh, we're going to see that unemployment, uh, those unemployment figures of now about 40 million people radically drop. Um, and, and so if you look at where uh, the unemployment is concentrated in six areas, uh, you'll see that one is travel, leisure, and hospitality. That's bars, restaurants, airlines, cruise ships, hotels, uh, you know, the this part of the economy, these are big sporting events, concerts, rock concerts, country and western uh, concerts. I don't think the, this industry is coming back uh, before we fully until we have a vaccine. Uh, they will come back in, in some form. Hopefully, they'll be able to exist. But until we get a vaccine in 12 to 18 months, um, I don't think people, the, the, these industries, after 9-11, it took the airline industry three or four years uh, to come back to their pre-9-11, uh, um, you know, economics. And so I'm a little bit um, leery about uh, the, that area. And they made up about 30, 35 percent of all the unemployed. So that that's going to be there. A lot of those people will go back to work, but some of those people will not. There will be some restaurants and bars that will never reopen. Um, so that, that's the one area that we ought to be thinking about. Uh, and I'll talk about that a little bit later. The other areas, uh, the other uh, five areas of unemployment was education and health. Well, that's teachers. We know they're going back to work in September or the fall. Uh, they, they primarily work for government, but they're unemployed at the moment, and they will be going back to work. Uh, strangely enough, healthcare workers, dentists, uh, uh, nurses who did elective surgery, uh, eye doctors, all, those sort of people, they're all coming back to work. You're going to need a dentist. You're going to need your teeth cleaned. 
all those people are going to get their their jobs back now that we're allowing elective surgeries and and reopening of uh, dentist offices, things like that. Uh, the other area was uh, business professional services, which were you largely low level uh, services to office buildings, maintenance, things like that. Once those buildings get uh, uh, reopened, they're all going to get their jobs back. This is a temporary furlough. Uh, the other area is retail. Um, and retail businesses are opening. Most of those people are going to get their jobs back. You know, you heard about JCPenney and Neiman Marcus and J. Crew uh, filing for bankruptcy. That doesn't mean that they're going out of business. They're going to reopen. They're going to hire all their employees back. What they've done is they've gone through a reorganization of their debt. So what they're doing is negotiating with banks. And as we know, you know, it took Sears about 10 years to die. Most of these uh, companies were companies that were having problems before the recession. Malls were having problems before the recession. Um, we've seen how well Amazon and the, the big box stores that have uh, e-commerce sites as well, uh, they're going to be the future. Um, but it, once you start filing for reorganization and debt reorganization, it takes about 10 years for these big uh, firms to die. My view would be the faster the better, but uh, the, the thing is they're not going to their employees are still going to go back to work and you'll still be able to shop at JCPenney if you really want to. Uh, so that's area. Manufacturing, you know, G General Motors opened up in the last two weeks. All of those people are going to be hiring all their workers back again. Uh, so those are temporary um, furloughs. Uh, and then the, the last area was construction. Now think about it. Almost all Everything that was in construction in February, it was already all, already paid for, the loans were made, it's going back to work again. Not only that, but new mortgages are up. And we saw in April, while everyone was locked down, a massive increase, I mean, really bigger than anyone expected in building permits. So I believe construction is going to come back uh, stronger than, than ever. So the vast majority of that, those unemployed people are going to get their jobs back. It's just that one area of travel, leisure, hospitality. Uh, a lot of those jobs will come back, but not all of them. Well, I'm sure once you and I get back on the road again, it'll probably help the airlines and the hotels a little bit. Um, so let's talk a little bit about strategy, if you will, in this environment. As you know, we believe in an endowment style portfolio, i.e. we like a diversified portfolio of both public and private investments. Uh, and that's all based off the client's risk and their time horizon, their profile. So moving forward in this new uncertain COVID economy, what's your opinion on this type of a portfolio, Paul? This is not an, a new idea. This is how really rich people, really rich institutions, the most sophisticated investors use this strategy. Um, I spent most of my early career of investment management managing a lot of insurance money, which is institutional money. And um, I, as I I've started managing money for, uh, you know, 
regular people, average, normal people, I realized that there were two different uh, ways of managing money in America. There was the way that really rich institutions and rich family offices and really rich people manage their money. And then there was the kind of, uh, you know, typical stockbroker, uh, 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 you know, Fidelity, Schwab, you know, the Main Street sort of advisor's way of managing money. And, and I was always struck by the fact that normal people, average Americans were given only one choice of managing money. It was mainly because of the mutual fund industry and the ETF industry and these big companies, uh, Fidelity, Schwab, you know, uh, Vanguard, they wanted to sell their products. And so they, they came up with a distribution system for their products uh, that uh, was really for, uh, you know, the masses. Uh, but the question is, was it really the best investment strategy uh, for, for individual investors? And uh, I think the answer is, is that rich people, rich institutions, um, uh, pension funds, things like that, they don't use that system. Uh, they have a different system, the endowment type of investing system. And I think that's your answer. These are the most sophisticated investors in America, and they don't invest the same way that the average investor does. And I think more people should be looking at uh, the kind of broad diversification that you're seeing in the endowment model. Amen. You're uh, preaching to the choir over here. Um, thanks so much. I uh, enjoyed this session. I think the listeners today received a really good education and probably answered a lot of questions they asked themselves regarding what's going to happen with this economy, what's going to happen to my 401k, what may happen with my investments and my lifestyle. People have got a lot of questions about that, and I think, Paul, you did a great job in addressing some of that information to give people something to look forward to. Uh, also, uh, just my inside comment here, I would recommend anybody that wants to learn more about the household endowment model, I would recommend you go to Amazon and buy our book, my book, The Household Endowment Model. Uh, with that, Paul, thank you so much for being on. Appreciate it very much. This is episode number two. Uh, we have been able to enjoy you, and now we're looking forward to episode number three. So with that, uh, Paul, I'll allow you to say goodbye, and we'll turn it over to Jeff. Thank you so much. I, I, I just encourage uh, investors to, to stay in the market uh, and to, um, uh, I, I think by the end of this year, uh, the market will be up over where it was in, on January 1st. And given the economic carnage, uh, I, I think it will be well worth the patience. Great. Thanks, Paul. Jeff? At one time or another, your doctor may have recommended a stress test. Well, did you know that there is a financial stress test, too? You can learn a lot about your current wealth management plan and whether or not you're on the right path to achieving all that you've worked so hard to build. The stress test may be one of the most important things you've ever done for your money. 
especially now during these unprecedented, uncertain times. Visit thehouseholdendowmentmodel.com. Scroll down, click on the stress test icon, and complete the short form. The stress test is absolutely free and can be completed in the comfort of your home, your office, or wherever you are. Once again, that's thehouseholdendowmentmodel.com, then click on the stress test icon. The video version of Your Money Manual is available on YouTube where you can subscribe to our channel. As always, you can hear our audio podcast on many of your favorite services, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcasts available on iTunes. So please give us your rating and review. Your Money Manual is presented by Wealth Strategies Advisory Group, and we invite you to follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time. This program has been presented for the education of our listeners only and is not intended as investment advice, nor is it intended as a solicitation of investment products or services of any kind. We encourage you to seek the advice of a licensed professional financial advisor before making any investment decisions.